So, so I really enjoy the social aspect of it, and especially as a, as an organizer, to me that's the most rewarding part. Is is just giving people opportunity to to challenge themselves and and meeting everybody out there and uh, from different walks of life who who sort of is brought together by this this uh, single passion and. Uh, and 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 willingness to to put themselves out there and to explore your limits and uh, see the country ride bike. Um, so so for that reason, I'll probably ride it eastbound again this year. Um, when you when you feel you're done and you're toast at night, go to sleep. Wake up the next morning and then decide. Never quit at night because eighty uh, percent of the time, when you wake up the next day, you you find yourself going on. But. Uh, and then uh, again, as always, and that's the biggest thing with the bikepacking races when you push the limits like this. For every low, there's always a high that's going to come after. It never stays bad and it never stays good. It always swings from one extreme to the other. So uh, in the lowest low, you you can, I, I always tell myself that won't last. You've just got to go through the lows to get to the highs. And that was true again this time. That's Leonard Pretorius. And this is the Bikepack Canada podcast. just the simple act of telling yourself to smile that's one of my go-to tricks for 24-hour races um every lap you know i just find some spot to just kind of just smile and appreciate kind of how goofy this moment can be like i'm racing a bike for for 24 hours straight like why why did i sign up for this like it's it, it can it can be funny or you can make it painful on yourself so i choose to try to make it funny Good to hear you again, Ryan. That was that was some good advice. I actually use that advice uh, on my rides to make sure that I stay motivated. Sometimes you just have to pick your head up and look around and smile, either at the ridiculousness of it or just just having a good time. You're just out there in the woods on your bike. And uh, I went on a bit of bit of a loop the other day, and um, I was destroyed by the end of it. I had a long day at work and. Um, I wanted to get some distance in, so I did a ride and and uh, felt pretty good until the very end. But you know what? It's so peaceful to uh, to be out there in the woods in the dark, following your light, just watching the gravel go by, listening to something. I just find a lot of peace with that. And um, yeah, I hope you guys do too. It's pretty uh, it's, it's pretty rad what we do. A lot of people don't probably give it enough credit, but it's pretty awesome. So I hope you guys like that chat with Evan. Uh, super honored to talk to that guy. Um, he's just a regular dude. He's just so down to earth and, uh, I really had a good combo with him and I've gotten some really good reception uh, about that. And you guys seem to enjoy it. I'm so happy. And, uh, I wanted to continue with, uh, some more BC Epic podcast because I have, uh, on this episode, Leonard Pretorius, the organizer. Uh, we had an awesome chat. It took us a while to connect, but when we finally did, um, it was so good to good to chat and um i think you'll find some some uh, similarities between uh clee and uh leonard's personalities i find them they're both so inspirational and they're just again so so down to earth and and uh, very wise and very experienced so if you enjoyed the podcast with evan you're gonna really dig this one now i bring you leonard pretorius recovering a little bit yeah the 
muscles are still a bit stiff from the weekend, but not too bad. Yeah, you did great. That was a great ride. Thanks. Yeah, it was uh, less than ideal conditions for sure. Yeah. So were you in the mud the whole time? Yeah, pretty much. Oh pretty much. God. We started off uh, started off not, not too badly. The weather prediction in Kamloops didn't didn't look too bad. So um, it wasn't too bad when we started off. But as soon as we climbed out of the valley, pretty much within the first couple of hours, it started raining and then just uh, got worse from there. Well, there's no bad weather, just bad gear, right? Exactly. <laughs> awesome. Bikes you suffered though. What's that you suffered? The, and the bike did as well. Yeah, it's hard on the drive trains, and you can yeah. just you can just hear everything grinding away beneath you. So that was a that's always the worst thing about mud. You feel for the bike. It's just so tough on your gear. Is it even worthwhile uh, rinsing it? Can you can you find water on the trail to rinse there it with? There is there is a bit of water here and there. The good thing about it, every now and again the shower would come along and it sort of washes everything off. Right. And before it starts caking up with mud again. But yeah, when it starts missing shifts and whatnot, you try and rinse it off a little bit. But, oh uh, man, it doesn't last very long. When I when I look at some of the races that have been going on and I think about about my BC Epic experience, I got so lucky with the weather. Like. I was in that little donut hole of weather all the way across the province. Yeah. I, I got a bit of rain in Kimberley, but nothing like what you guys got, I think. Yeah, I was right in the middle. It was perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. So that was a successful uh, uh, event then, the buckshot? I would think so. The first two years got canceled because of the smoke, obviously. So we yeah. decided let's move it to to the first long weekend that it, we could do it. And uh if it's not burning out, it's pouring rain, but at least this time it, it went down. I think uh, the weather conditions probably took away some of the enjoyment of, of the route. I think under, under ideal circumstances, it's a, it's a really scenic route, and I think it would be much nicer to do it in nicer weather. When, it, when the weather's bad like this one, it's just staring at the road, trying to pick the best line through the mud, and uh, and you're just focusing on, on moving ahead and getting to the next point. So you sort of, I think, miss out on a bit of the of the route itself and the experience and the scenery. But uh, I think overall it went down well. Is that kind of the um, so sweet yeah. spot for uh, for the season to run it? Is that the sweet spot? I think so. I think so. Later on in the season, there's just too many stuff going on. And over the summer holidays, people have family obligations and things as well. So uh, yeah. so I think this will probably stay as, as the weekend to do it. But uh, May Long typically sees a, a bit of rain in this part of the part of the world so i was hoping it might be an exception this time but uh, not so much but uh it, the weekend before was great and uh, this weekend is going to be good as well so it's just, uh, just so, the luck of the draw it's just the way it goes yeah what was the inspiration yeah. to create that event was it is uh, basically just, just uh, something something a bit shorter the epic is is a long ride uh with being a, a thousand plus kilometers and it's logistically a bit tough as well with starting in one point and ending a thousand k's in different point in both relatively small towns on either end. So, uh, so there's lots of people who, because of, of not being up to a thousand kilometers or not having the time to do that kind of ride and also having logistical challenges, it's a, it's a harder race to do. So there's uh, lots of people who do want to, want to get into the bikepacking thing and, and do a little event, but not necessarily something as big as the Epic. So I thought this would be a, just in my, in my own backyard here create something a little bit shorter that people could do over a long weekend. The idea with the buckshot is we do it over a long weekend and, and even the, the, the guy who takes the, takes it easy uh, should be able to finish it within the three days. So there's no need to take extra time off work 
And with it being a loop, it's logistically easier in the sense that you park your car in Kamloops and you begin in India. And uh, and being 400 k's, it's a bit shorter. So uh, so it's more more of a grassroots, more accessible, e- lo- easy, logistically easier uh, race to for for sort of people who want to get into it to to get their feet wet without committing to something like that. Yeah. Like the, because in, in Canada, there's not a lot of shorter races. Everything we have, the, the BCA, because a thousand plus, the Alberta Rockies is is a challenging route as well. This and, there, yeah. uh, and the elephant, although it's four or five hundred Ks, it's a technically uh, challenging route. Eh? So that's not, not something to be taken lightly at all. No, I'm hoping to hit that one later this summer, actually. Maybe. Yeah, I, I, yeah I'd like yeah. to. Yeah, that's just in your backyard there, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I was talking to Nathan. It was like, well, it would be cool if I just started in Invermere and just looped it that way. Yeah. So yeah. I might I might actually get myself up to Hawk Road and then do uh, the Brewer in Paradise first, I think. Because I don't know get if I want – yeah, I don't know if I want to finish with that, although that would be finishing with a bang. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was basically one, two passes and home. But yeah, I'm I'm thinking about it and just trying to work out getting some time off and, and work it around the family schedule too. It's tough, right? So um so you've been really busy. So you before the buckshot you had you did an Everesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that was uh, that was something uh it's more of a road roadie challenge. It's something that a bunch of guys in Australia came up with, I think in two thousand and fourteen. Uh, that simple principle, you pick a hill, any hill in your backyard, and you ride up and down it continuously until you've climbed the cumulative height of Mount Everest. And um, so that's 8,848 meters. And then if you go a little bit further and you go to 10,000, then you join the Hyrulea Society. Um, Ah, nice. So if you're going for the Everest, you're 1,100 meters away from it, so you might as well keep pushing on for the 10,000. Um, so yeah, it's more of a more of a road bike challenge. Um, but any any challenge involving two wheels and uh, that's hard to do is is something that uh, that intrigues me. So as uh, early in the season, it's a nice way to to motivate oneself and, uh, and and get in shape in preparation for for the longer ride. So I thought I'd uh, give it a go and made a bit of a fundraiser out of it. And uh, Ken from Kelowna, one of the BC Epic veterans, joined me as well. And uh, yeah, so that was a that was a fun fun little event. Awesome. And did you, did you finish that in under twenty four or around twenty four? Yeah, twenty. It took us twenty one and a half hours eventually. I think that the Everest itself was about nineteen and a half hours, and then uh, it took another one and a half hours or so to add on the, the additional eleven hundred for the ten thousand. So the ten thousand meters took us twenty twenty one and a half hours. But it's it's different wow. from the bikepacking in the sense that it's. It's completely supported, eh? Which is so right. nice. We had a we had a base camp at the bottom there with a bunch of people camped there in trailers, and you've got a table full of full of goodies at the bottom of the hill, and people cheering you on. The cycling community of the of Kamloops got got involved quite a bit, so there was pretty much for the whole thing. We had uh, various people's people doing laps with us, uh, keeping us company uh, and and whatnot. So it's completely different from the from the long distance bikepacking out in the middle of nowhere, sleeping in some ditch kind of thing. A lot more emotional support. Yeah, exactly. So lots of emotional support and lots of physical support as well. Yeah, absolutely. You climb up the hill and every time you go, uh, so it's a 15 minute climb, 15 later became 18 minute climb towards the end that, um, and then you cruise down again and you, there's food at the bottom and you stuff your face and 
what not, and then go up for the next climb. So it's uh, so it was it was easier in that sense. It was physically hard, but not as hard as I as I thought it might be. How long were you transitioning between climbs? Like five or ten minutes? Like, did you have to logistically yeah. kind of plan that out so you could do it within a certain amount of time, or did it matter? Yeah, it doesn't doesn't really matter as long as you do it for to complete the challenge. You just have to do it continuously in the sense that you're not allowed to to rest for any extended period of time so and definitely not sleep so it has to be considered one uh, one one ride but um, but what i what we tried to do is sort of do 10 climbs and then uh, get off the so we wouldn't get off the bike in between climbs uh, for 10 at a time and then every 10 climbs uh, we would we would get off so it was a 150 meter climb so every 1500 meters of climbing, which took us it took us about three, four climbs per hour. Okay. So every two and a half hours, we would we would get off and stretch the legs a little bit, and go to the washroom and have something more significant to eat. Um, and then each each every in between every lap, just sort of going by on the bike, you'll grab something uh, like a banana or something, and just uh, stuff it in your mouth and take a few yeah. few uh, few gulps of your drink, and then uh, up you go again. That's awesome. You did that for the hospital where you work. Yeah, yeah. I decided if I'm going to be going to be doing this, it might as it's going to be highly visible. It's one of the big, uh, one of the big roads, trunk roads that goes up into one of the neighborhoods up in town here, and it has a nice bike path on the side with with barriers that's separate from traffic, which is great, and it's lit from top to bottom as well. So wow. riding through the night, there was no issues with with lighting. So it's pretty much the ideal hill for it. It's about a eight nine percent average grade. Um, at its steepest, 11%. At its flattest, 4 between 4 and 11%. So it's pretty much the ideal hill, I think, for it. Perfect. So I thought it's going to be highly, highly visible. A bunch of guys riding up and down the hill continuously for 20-something hours. So I might as well make a make a fundraiser out of it, which I uh, did and ended up raising just under seven thousand dollars for the for the local hospital. So that was pretty nice. That's fantastic. Congratulations. That's sweet. So um, and then leading up to the now we're leading up to the epic. How, how are yeah. things? How are things going with that? Pretty good now with all the Everesting and the buckshot and everything. I haven't really gotten uh, gotten round to updating the the epic stuff as as much yet, but it's looking really good. I think we're uh, last I checked we're somewhere in the eighties for for signups. Oh, awesome. Um, so we might get close to or even uh, even surpass the last year. We had I think seventy two or seventy three people that actually showed up on the day. Um, so, and 80 something signups as well. So I think it's going to be pretty similar or even, even a little bit bigger. There's usually quite a few people who sign up in the, in the month leading up to it. Um, so I think it might, uh, might continue to grow still this year. And so, so everything looked good. The route looks more with the warmer weather we've had and the less snowpack. I don't think there's any real concerns regarding Great Creek Pass this year. Uh, that should be should be open and good to go. Uh, there's not as much flooding going on, so we don't need to worry as much about the, the trail between Castlegar and Trail uh, getting flooded like it was in years uh, gone by. Um, so yeah, everything's everything's looking pretty good. So in the next month, all all attention will focus on that, and we'll get things lined up. There's going to be a bigger westbound group uh, starting out of Fernie this year as well. Quite a few of the veterans is gonna that's ridden it eastbound a few times now is gonna is gonna go uh, westbound this year. So there's going to be a bigger, bigger west westbound grand depart at the same time as the eastbound, starting in Merritt. Uh, so that's going to add a bit of flavor as well, meeting each other in the middle. Yeah, that's awesome. How many were going westbound last last year? Last year just there was handful? just three, oh, okay. three or four, three yeah. or four that started uh, three. 
that started in, in Fernie at the same time. So that was a, a, a smaller group. I think this year there'll be at least uh, 10 or so, I think, starting in, uh, starting in Fernie and then heading, heading west. That's good. It's a good way to freshen it up as well if you've done it a couple times. Yeah, it yeah, is. The other it way. is. I've, I've seriously considered it as well. If it wasn't, I feel as the race organizer, it's good for me to be at the, to be at the grand depart in Merritt where most people are going to be, and the little barbecue thing the night before that we that we do is nice. Nice to be there and meet meet everybody and and socialize and and the social aspect of of the whole bikepacking thing is, is seen is is something that appeals to me. I'm not. A, typically a very social person at all my friends wouldn't consider me social at all the few that I do have but uh, and and that's why the whole bike packing thing appeals to me as opposed to the I've done BC bike race and trans rockies and those kind of things in the past and uh, as as nice it is as it is to ride the trails and whatnot sin uh, spinning sharing the trails with 600 of your best friends on the same <laughs> day was uh, was was not all that appealing um, I'm a bit of a, a sociophobe in that sense but uh, so surprising to me, actually, as as an organizer with the BC Epic and, and even other backpacking events that I've participated in, the Cross Washington, Oregon Outback, uh, other ones that I've done, is uh, just just socializing with with like-minded people that that share the same passion, eh? and uh, and you meet friends out on the trail that you end up riding with and and being friends with for life. That uh, so so I really enjoy the social aspect of it, and especially as a, as an organizer, to me that's the most rewarding part. Is is just giving people opportunity to, to challenge themselves and, and meeting everybody out there and uh, from different walks of life who, who sort of is brought together by this, this uh, single passion and, uh, and, and, and willingness to, to put themselves out there and explore your limits and uh, see the country by bike. Um, so, so for that reason, I'll probably ride it eastbound again this year just to be there at the Grand Depart uh, as, as, as organizer. You know, it's a great route, I think, for people who haven't uh, or are just entertaining the idea of doing it. I, I think it's a really good route for uh, just there's lots of resupply and yeah. the terrain isn't crazy gnarly. It's and it's long yeah. enough to be challenging be, because of that. Like it's not like a, a lost elephant where you're going up over passes and um, but it's long. And uh, the, yeah. the uh, just I uh, for me being you know fairly inexperienced, it's it was fantastic. It was such a great journey. So anyone who's on the fence, just go and do it. And you know what? Not everyone finishes it, and there's lots of places that you can like bunk, hunker down for a day and think about what you're gonna do before you, yeah. you know. So it, it's it felt Never like quit a, at night. Yeah, it felt like a kind of a safe route to me in a lot of ways, and uh, just just remote enough to make you feel remote. <laughs> Yeah, I agree, and like you said, lots of, lots of resupply points and and whatnot. I saw even with the buckshot over the weekend, if it's it had a, a huge amount of climbing, and that just just gets people, um, and puts you out in the backcountry quite a bit as well. The epic is is good in that way. You're uh, there's a good amount of resupply points. It's not technically too difficult uh, either. So I, I think it's just a it's just a just a good route to get into it uh, for and. Uh, and and it's it's well it's easy to follow as well navigationally it's not it's not difficult at all either so I, I do think it's although it's a longer one it is still a good route to 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 get into or to get your feet wet in and like you said even if you don't finish the whole thing uh, many people do do start it and and the, in the first year go halfway or a little bit beyond and uh, learn a lot of lessons and then come back the next year and gets it done. Um, but it's still, even if you just do half of it, the scenery is still awesome. And that's the other thing about the the epic. It's just the, the scenery and the landscapes that you go through is, is so varied. 
and uh, and, and and really really nice. Are you uh, going to go for the record this year? Because it feels like you're warmed up for it. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's going to come close to Evan's record. He said quite the benchmark. Uh, we'll try. We'll try. Many of us will, I'm sure, over the years. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if that, that record holds for a few years. He, uh, that was a phenomenal ride that he did. Yeah, it was unreal. And uh, but I figured, yeah, you got you might vie for it. You might kind of put the hammer down. And I just see all the riding you're doing and all the warm up you're doing. It just seems like oh, he's <laughs> he's getting the legs ready for something big. I think. I'll try. I'll try. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to hearing what Evan had to say about about it uh, and what his thoughts was on it. I spoke to him a little bit afterward, and I I spoke to him when he arrived at the very end there, uh, that little interview that I did there. But uh, he was uh, at that point quite out of it. But uh, but still, it was uh, it, he was he was toast. But that was a it was an amazing ride that he did. Yeah, he said he really, really enjoyed it. I think that's what helped him just keep going, just because it was so enjoyable. And and I think it was something he needed in that time of, of his life at that point. So I think it was just everything the doctor ordered was to do the BC Epic yeah, for Evan. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So that was just the, the perfect storm that gave him the perfect ride. So I don't. I think it's hard. It's going to be hard for any of us to to come close to that or beat that record anytime yeah. soon. But uh, we'll give it our best go. I know Dion Clark's coming back uh, this year as well. Did he? Um, did he go in the buckshot, or did he have he to did, drop he out? He went in the buckshot, but uh, yeah, conditions conditions were just really bad off the bat and uh, and whatnot. So he decided that he he doesn't want to risk being out there in the middle of nowhere on on unknown roads, getting mechanicals because of all the mud and and stuff. So he he wisely decided to to pull the plug earlier on, which probably wasn't a bad decision. Oh, especially if he has another race coming up, right? Exactly. Better be safe than sorry. He did amazing in the stagecoach uh, a month or so ago, um, and and then yes, yeah, I know he's uh, he's planning on doing the doing the epic. He's going to go westbound. Oh, good. Um, nice. So and I, and I think I I wouldn't I would expect him to go for Evans Records as well. They were uh, they were the pretty close down. within a couple. Yeah. Was it just a couple hours? Yeah, he ended up uh, he ended up sleeping in Cranbrook. Right. Uh, the last night because of the oh, again terrible weather and thunderstorms and everything coming in, which Evan went through. Right. But uh, Dion decided no, he's gonna he's gonna wait that out. So he lost uh, he lost a bunch of hours there. But uh, up until that point, he wasn't too far beyond beyond behind Evan. So uh, so he's a he's a strong rider. I I wouldn't be uh, in the absence of Evan. I would put my money on uh, on on uh, him probably riding Dion riding the fastest time in the Epic this year. Well, it'd be an exciting one to watch without watching. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was going to, the question I was thinking of earlier was uh, you mentioned about the learning thing, right? So when you go out on these, on these races, yeah, there's so much to learn and you don't know anything when you first do one. And I think even scratching is a valuable lesson because when you go back and you think about what you did to let, that led you up to leaving yeah. a race or an event, let's not even call it a race, just a ride. Um, that's uh, that's a mindset's a huge factor and uh, you learn. And then just with that little bit of experience, you learn that, oh, I can just go a bit further. You know, I could just go a bit further or uh, I should have slept over the night. Like when I scratched in the AR, um, someone told me to sleep, sleep on it. Don't quit yet. Yeah, I didn't heed that and I ended up scratching and then I regretted it. Yeah, I'm not that I'm a terribly experienced uh, bike packer, but uh, that's always one of the first lessons I tell people is never quit at night. 
um, when you when you feel you're done and you're toast at night, go to sleep. Yeah. Wake up the next morning and then decide. Never quit at night because uh, yeah, eighty percent of the time when you wake up the next day, you you find yourself going on. But uh, all you need is a little bit of sleep to just sway sway the mind. When you're tired and beaten up and done in the middle of the night, that's not the time to be making making that decision. No, no rational decisions can be made when you're yeah. in that state. So yeah, 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 I mean, it's all about learning, right? So, um, do you have any uh, stories to share? about the buckshot just uh just uh the, the mud was just terrible and then i uh, i have a two by ten so I, I early on it wouldn't shift down into the small ring anymore and when i manually put it in the small ring it would suck the chain in the whole oh, time no. so i was pretty much stuck in a one by ten with a 30 36 36 being my lowest gear Ouch. so that added added to the to the ordeal <laughs> Oh, no. And then um, the same knee issue that I actually had on the on the epic that ended my epic last year uh, prematurely, I I got the same knee issue this time as well as at two in the morning climbing out of barrier uh, through the mud on yeah. the buckshot. And um, but yeah, this time took I took a bunch of Advil and I found that I when I when I pressed on the side of the knee where the pain is, it actually felt a little bit better. So I ended up taking a bunch of electrical tape and wrapping it around the knee. And uh, and that sort of kept it going to the to the point that I could at least soft pedal, but uh, but any of the steep climbs and the muddy stuff, I was just hiking through it and whatnot. So it, it turned into quite uh, quite the ordeal. But again, two three in the morning, that's when when morally you're at the lowest, and just to just keep going. What do you do? What what do you tell yourself? Just uh, I mean, you're out there anyway. You're gonna have to get out of there. Uh, it's not like anybody can come get you there. Uh, so, so you might as well get it done. Might as well keep going because you're in it now. So, um, so that's sort of what what keeps you going. And then uh, when the sun starts rising the next day, I went through this time uh, no sleep, and uh, this uh, it it got difficult this time around. I I actually started falling asleep on the bike a little bit in the early morning hours. Uh, two or three times I rode into the ditch, uh, so that was a bit scary. But fortunately, that didn't last too long. And then uh, again, as always, and that's the biggest thing with the bikepacking races when you push the limits like this. For every low, there's always a high that's going to come after. It never stays bad and it never stays good. It always swings from one extreme to the other. So uh, in the lowest low, you you can. I, I always tell myself that won't last. You've just got to you go through the lows to get to the highs, and that was true again this time. So coming onto Adam, coming down onto Adams Lake. Uh, on the buckshot with the sun sort of rising in the east and the lake below you, it was just uh, magical. And uh, with losing elevation, the road dried out and it was smooth riding and just uh, a little bit cold still, but that, and it's just, you, you it goes to the other extreme. Eh? It's just the uh, euphoria being out there. And that's, uh, that's the way it goes. It always, it always, it always swings the other way. So if you just keep going long enough, it gets good again. I think too, if you can push through the night and, and ride into the sunrise, just ride into the morning light as the light kind of just, yeah. it's like the dimmers coming yeah. up and then you can see further into the woods and then you can kind of see through and that's, yeah, it's very, very uplifting. So it's, it is. this, it is. this too shall pass. Right. So when you're feeling yeah. crappy, yeah. it's like, just keep putting one foot in front of the other, even if you're walking and exactly wait for the light exactly. to come. <laughs> so actually, I mean, sorry, go ahead. No, you always start questioning because uh, there's different approaches. Eh? Do do you do that? Do you go that far? Do you push yourself to that to that point? And don't you actually take away from your enjoyment of the route and of the ride by doing so? That's always the the the, 
the age-old question, do you race it or do you tour it? Because eh? there's many people, most people who ride the Epic uh, don't ride through the night and into the silly hours of the morning and whatnot. Uh, you ride and enjoy the scenery and enjoy the company and uh, ride till till nightfall and then have a good night's rest and keep going the next day. And I think that's probably much more enjoyable. And, uh, yeah. and you get to see the landscape and things much more than us uh, who, who push through the night and ride ourselves into the ground. So you always start questioning that, and there's there's merit to both, I guess. Uh, you definitely enjoy the route and enjoy the scenery, enjoy your cycling more if you if you take your time doing so and do doing more of a, a touring approach to it, as opposed to racing. You get that sense of accomplishment for for having uh, taken yourself to those dark places yeah. physically and mentally, and uh, and come away stronger for it. But uh, but yeah, it does it does it does take away many other ways of, uh, ways of it. So I think it's it's a good balance being able to do both, and being yeah. able to to decide when you're going to race and and do certain rides as races. But uh, but it's very important to be to be able to to go on a tour as well and just enjoy the scenery, enjoy the route, and enjoy enjoy cycling as well. Um, not just not just pushing the limits the whole time. I don't think that's physically or mentally sustainable in the long run. Yeah, I think I don't think most people could do that day after day after day. Yeah, I do think though that some people should try it. I think people should because there's there's a there's a certain um, peace at night. Like you could probably relate when you when you drive your car in the middle of the night. You're driving somewhere. Yeah. It's super late. It's maybe like two three in the morning. There's no wind. There's a mist in the air, and the temperature's nice, and it's super yeah. quiet. And yeah. if if you just roll through that or experience that it's so wonderful and there's really there's nothing to be a, there's nothing to be afraid of it's like we're the yeah. we're the scariest thing in the woods at night yeah. right no one's yeah. nothing's coming to get you and if you could just follow your your light and just maybe listen to some tunes or just listen to the nothing that's out there it's pretty amazing people should try that I agree that uh, that is, and and just pushing oneself to those limits as well. That's one of the there's few enough opportunities in in modern day life these days that we really get to explore our, our limits physically and mentally, and really challenge ourselves. So one sort of has to go looking for that, in a way. But I think uh, I think the the human spirit wants wants that. We want to be we want to test ourselves and we want to see what our limits are. And I think many people. My, myself included, I've through bikepacking and through bikepack racing, I've definitely surpassed uh, many of my own expectations in terms of the kind of hours and distance and, and elevation and things you can you can tolerate and you can do, and that uh, that sense of achievement for for having surpassed your wildest expectations in terms of of what you're capable of physical and mentally, that's uh, that's hugely rewarding in itself. So I, I think that occasionally one has to sort of push yourself to those places and uh, and after a while it becomes it becomes sort of a, an, an addiction in a sense which I don't know if it's healthy healthy or not but, uh, but you, you start looking for that and you start enjoying being in those in those dark places uh, in your mind and physically pushing yourself to those limits because it's just it, it's a it's a pure form of living which uh, which we, we seldomly find these days in my experience I, I find too um, I agree with all of that I think there's something about when you when you push that and you're in the saddle for a really long time you'll reach this state or you'll reach this flow state and it's almost like time stands still and yeah. you're not thinking about anything it's it's very meditative and it's almost cleansing because all you're thinking about all your body has to do is 
is be balanced on, on yeah. a bike and, and steer and then maybe sip something or put something in your mouth to eat just to keep the fuel in or whatever. But it, there's mm-hmm. something very primal about it because you're not, you, you kind of forget about the bills and the mortgage yeah. and exactly. your job exactly. and stuff and you're just in for the those, woods. For those few days that you're out there, life becomes really, really simple. All you do is eat, sleep, and ride. That's it. And that's all you have to think about. That's all you have to do from the morning that you wake up till you till you go to sleep at night. Life, for those few days, life just becomes simple, as simple as it should be, I think. And that simplicity is hugely appealing to me. You, you really get away from People always say, I do this and I do that to get away from, from this or that, to get away from it. And I think the bikepacking for me really does that life becomes really simple and uh and there's there's lots of time for introspection and mm. and just sort of being there right being in the moment and uh, and enjoying the the simplicity of of life in in that moment you just ride your bike that's all you've got to do and yeah. uh, and you just keep at it i've got goosebumps now <laughs> i want to go <laughs> i want to go ride my bike right now um that's awesome uh one of our listeners had a question, not specifically for you, but I figured you'd be a good guy to ask. And he wanted to know, his name's Devin Lees. He wrote one of the first emails that I got, but he wanted to know about cockpit setup. So um, what is the optimal cockpit setup, in your opinion, uh, for spending hours and hours on the bike? I think that it, that that's a highly individual thing, as right. as when you as as you would know, there's many things. The Jones bar is very 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 uh, popular. I haven't tried that myself. It looks very good, but it, and it might be very good. What I prefer myself is I I've tried drop bars, uh, like the Fargos and the Cutthroats have on them, and and many guys enjoy those. That it didn't work for me. That uh, my back didn't didn't like that much. My neck didn't like it much either. So I don't do do well with with drop bars. I like my my flat straight handlebar. And then I got a, got some a, a bar yak, which is sort of an aero bar thing that I got from Joe Stiller in the States and with lots of mounting places and stuff on it. And it's got some some armrests that you can you can rest on as well. And it took a while to get used to riding in that sort of aero position, but uh, back-wise and whatnot. But once you do get used to it, that uh, just, just variety in position, that's a big thing that you're looking for. You need to be able to obviously mount your stuff um, but you need to be able to switch it up and you need to make a conscious effort of switching it up as well. So if you sit in the same position, especially for a 20 hour day, if you sit in this or even a 10 or eight hour day, if you sit in the same position for those for all that time, it's it's not going to be good. Uh, your backside's not going to like you. Your neck and your shoulders is, is going to punish you. And on these rides, the limiting factor doesn't become fatigue in the legs or fitness. The limiting factor becomes comfort. What gets you off the bike? is not fatigue or, or pain, it's pain. It's discomfort that gets you off the bike. So I think for me, uh, switching the position up, so having having different hand positions, having different body positions, being able to sit upright on my bars, being able to lean forward on the on the aero bars, um, those being able to switch it up is, is what works well for me. Do you find for the most part that um, when you're, uh, when you're holding your flat bar, is your body position fairly straight up or is it? Yeah. yeah. I've got, a, I've got a high a 45 degree riser on my, on my uh, stem. And then I've got my, I didn't cut my fork down at all. So my fork is the original 
fork length that it comes from from the factory with a whole bunch of spaces in there and then my uh, stem is a 45 degree riser stem as well so my my flat bar is high so i'm sitting in a very upright position when i'm uh, when i'm holding on to the bars and that's when when i bend forward onto the aero bars i'm not that far forward either but it's sort of a, a good compromise but yeah i like my my upright position I really, I've been running the Jones bar for a couple of years and I, I quite enjoy it. I, I don't like it for trail riding. I, I, I'd rather have a flat bar. There's something to be said for having that stance on a bike, but for, yeah. um, just, uh, for bike pack, for bike packing in general, I, it's, it's so nice to have that 45 degree sweep. I think it puts your, yeah. it puts your, your, your elbow, your wrist and your hand in a very, um, linear path. So it's, you can avoid a lot of stress and uh, I find it very comfortable. It's oftentimes when I go back to a flat bar, I find my elbows really hurt. And when I go back to the sweep, that pain goes away. So yeah. I've kind of really leaned more towards the Jones bar, but man, I need to get some sort of arrow bar set up. I, I can appreciate the need. Um, cause I had pretty severe nerve damage in just that one in the BC Epic. And, uh, yeah. it took months to get it back. Like my, my, I couldn't like point, like into a wall, my finger wouldn't even support it. It was just like almost palsy. Well, it was biker palsy, right? Yeah. I just yeah. couldn't yeah. use my hand at all. So I need to find some sort of setup. I need to look at the bariac setup because yeah, I do need to get down on my elbows, get off my it's hands. It's a good setup. And I like the concept of the Jones bar. Like I said, I can, I can see myself being being comfortable on that as well. I like the, the concept of the sweet back. Sweet back, I just haven't had the opportunity to try it yet, but I, I can see that being a good good fit as well. The drop bars though didn't didn't work for me. For some guys, love them, but uh, but I I didn't like them all that much. I noticed with the salsa bikes that their um, their stack height's pretty high. Oh, sorry, not their stack height, but their uh, just the geometry of those bikes. I think they're set up so that even when when you're on the hoods on a drop bar, you're kind of at the same level you'd be with a flat bar. Exactly, and I think that's where I might have gone wrong because I put a drop bar on a bike that wasn't necessarily designed for it, um, which is my, my Kona Ragen frame, uh, which is a, a mountain frame. It wasn't designed for a drop bar. I tried to compensate by it, by, for it by raising the drop bar as much as I could and sort of try and simulate the the geometry of a Fargo or a, or a cutthroat, but uh, it, it still wasn't as good as that. So you're right. If on on the right bike, it might uh, it might work really well. Yeah, I think it's like you said too. It's very individual. I think it helps. So, what do you? What kind of tires are you running on the Epic? Um, in previous years, I went with uh, uh, Specialized Renegades, so they're pretty pretty lightweight, high volume, the two point three fives. Because on the on the on the epic you need some volume. There's uh, as you as you would know, there's a lot of soft sand, uh, soft rail ballast, rough trails. So going for anything anything less than a 2.1 inch oh uh, mountain tire, I think we, you're you're going to be at a disadvantage. Yes, there's some good gravel and some pavement in there, but there are large stretches of the of the rail grade. Thinking of climbing out of uh, Princeton up to Osprey Lake, that's uh, it's it's sort of sandish. A rough gravel even just a little first but after you get onto the onto the rail grid after merit into brookmere that's spun up by the atvs yeah. rough gravel so uh so any if you're on anything less than two inch tires on that you're going to suffer so i find for the epic you want you obviously want a lightweight tire it doesn't need to be super uh, sturdy and aggressive you don't necessarily need a ton of traction um you want something that's going to hold up the distance but uh, but you want volume 
you need some flotation. So, so I'll probably go with that again for the, the 2.35s uh, for the Epic. I ran the three inch Chronicles and uh, I think they were just a little bit too fat. You know, they were a little slow. Um, yeah. And um, I, I, I'm kind of the opposite with the tires. I like a, not, not with a tread pattern per se. I think the Chronicles had enough traction for that, for that route, but in terms of their burliness, like get all the sidewall protection, like, you know, get the XO, get the 128 TPI. Like I don't mind having burly tires because I know I never have to worry about them. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's my advice. But yeah, three was a bit, I know there was a guy on a three, he had, I think he was running minions on a fat bike, like a 3.8. 3.8 minions which i thought oh my gosh the rolling resistance of those must have been horrible yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah everyone's different right so um yeah what about uh the epic tell us about more about the epic run that you had last year yeah yeah i know it uh, my knee packed in right. at the end of day one so yeah that wasn't good I, i'm not entirely sure still what happened i thought it was a bottle uh, that wasn't properly in its bottle cage, so I, I tried a one-liter bottle and it didn't in on the up on the seat tube between my legs, and it didn't fit properly. It was a side-loading one, so it was a, leaning off to the side a little bit and rubbing my knee ever so slightly. So I thought that that was the culprit, but I didn't have that over the weekend, and I still got the same knee pain. So now I'm sort of back to square one as to what's causing it. Inside pain uh, or just, outside pain? Uh, outside, outside. Uh, just on the on the outside of the knee. Uh, really bad pain that just got progressively worse. So riding into, I was good up until Penticton and then riding into Penticton, I felt, uh, felt it starting to niggle a bit and then riding out of Penticton pretty much rode to the, to the tunnel, first tunnel after Penticton and then, uh, couldn't sit and pedal anymore because the pain was too excruciating. So I standed, started standing up and pedaling and it would tolerate that. So I pretty much pedaled up until the second switchback. So another 10 Ks up the hill standing up and then uh, and then that got too too painful so i started oh, no. walking and walked all the way to shoot lake and beyond um just pushing my bike and then realized that there's another 700 k's to go <laughs> yeah pushing my bike all the way to fern is probably not gonna i haven't dnf the race prior to then so i was really reluctant to admit that this uh, that might be it so i just kept pushing for hour after hour uh, until 2 a.m yeah uh, I was somewhere on the other side of somewhere above Kelowna at that point and uh, decided that, okay, pushing, pushing my bike all the way to Fernie isn't exactly going to, going to work out. That's probably not the best thing to attempt to do. So I convinced myself if I just sleep by the trail side for a couple of hours and uh, pop a bunch of Advil, it'll be good in the morning. So I got in my, didn't plan to sleep on the first night, but I decided, okay, let's do this. So I get in the, got in my bivy, slept well for a couple of hours, got up and it didn't feel too bad getting on the bike. But within five minutes, it was just back to to pain so bad that I couldn't couldn't pedal at all. So I had to uh, call it and ride down into Kelowna and had the wife come fetch me. So that was that was a it, it sucked. It's I I've, I finished every other race that I began prior to then. So that was um, and I was I was I was on schedule. There was quite a few guys, Evan and Dion, and those guys were all ahead of me at that point, even before my knee started packing it in. So. Uh, so I don't think I would have would have won or anything, but my personal, as far as my personal goals and where I wanted to be when, uh, I was on schedule and and doing pretty good. So that was uh, quite disappointing, but uh, it doesn't kill you, make you stronger, eh? You you learn from it all. Uh, so um, so yeah, having had the same pain now over the weekend, I was able to 
to come up with with some plans, took some Advil and and used some electrical tape around the knee and whatnot, and got it to be to be fairly decent and usable still. So now I've I've learned how to circumvent that problem if it arises again. But still, we'll try to figure out how to prevent it altogether. Do you use a roller? I haven't. No, I have one sitting around here, but I should look at it. You know what? Um, I had exact same thing on uh, last year on the epic and and it was my it band and yeah. um i started i started kind of rolling that out and uh now i've got other achy joints so i don't have to talk about that but but it really really helped and uh, oftentimes it's like that um you you could start looking at uh websites about bike fit about like sliding your saddle back and forth your knee might be too far forward or even back and um yeah. I don't know. I had the same thing. And I found if you roll, if you roll basically from that kind of that nugget where your IT band joins your hip just yeah. below, just below that and you roll it, it does not feel good. It's not a pleasant thing. In fact, if the, probably the worse it hurts, probably means the more you're knotted up and you just keep rolling yeah. it yeah. down and up and down your knee, not like full weight or anything, but where you can take a tennis ball or, um, or like a roller ball and then grind that. Or sometimes you can just use that, your knuckle. Yeah. and just run yeah. it up and down your IT band. But I know it was actually painful to turn over. Like as soon as I, I turned it over, then I could pedal. But yeah. but yeah. it was to the point where it was just like, ah, it was just like super, just like someone's jabbing a knife in the side of your leg. Yeah. But then as soon as you got rotating, it seemed to be kind of okay. But yeah, man, I took so many drugs. I took I took so much uh, acetaminophen and ibuprofen. Like yeah. leaving Grand Forks, I, I took a handful, a cocktail, and I could feel the pain just melt from my body. Like I was, I felt, I went so fast at a Grand Forks because it's that slight downhill on that really nice track. Yeah. And I felt so good. When I told my pharmacist kind of a little bit about my journey, she gave me, she gave me crap. She said, you come back here in a week. If you took that many pills, that's toxic and blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, I know, but I wanted to finish. (laughs) 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 And I never take those drugs. So it's like, you know. But yeah, I, I yeah. can I can appreciate what you're going through. It sucks, but look, yeah, look at rolling those out. Just try it, see if it helps. I'll give the go for sure. Yeah, do like having a really nice hot bath or a hot tub or whatever, and then then hit the roller, and it'll feel awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give it a go for yeah, sure. It'll make a difference. <laughs> well, um, what else do you have for us? What are you doing later in the summer? Are you uh, are you just going to do the epic and then maybe rest because you've been so busy? Well, I, I I'm thinking of the Alberta Rocky 700. Oh, I'm nice. signed up for that. Uh, so the the new and improved version that Jonathan's got going there looks really good. Yeah, I'm excited. So I'm signed up for that. So if the if all goes well, then uh, that'll be the other one. So it'll probably the Buckshot, the Epic, and the Alberta Rockies. That's pretty much my uh, bike packing season. That's good. We need a new a new Triple Crown. Are are they going to bring back the Hurt in Alberta? I don't know. I hope so. I was going to do it last year. I was signed up and everything, and then it uh, it didn't go down. That's too bad. So I hope they bring it back. They should. It sounded like a really interesting route. Kind of, well, yeah. very challenging. Very mentally challenging, yeah. apparently. Yeah. So um, where can people find you online? Uh, I've got my the BC Epic 1000 Facebook page. That's probably where I'm most active. And uh, and then I've got the BC Epic 1000 the website as well. Uh, so so I, I run my little things through there. Yeah, and that, that that's about it. And then I've got my my own personal Facebook page, which is mostly all about just cycling stuff, uh, not a whole lot of 
family stuff and whatnot. I'm not big off on on Facebook on that. I used Facebook more as a as a as a a tool to connect with the cycling community. Uh, so that's uh, that's sort of the the main channel through which I I communicate. And then I do have a, an Instagram page as well for the for the BC Epic as well BC Epic One Thousand. What do you think about social networking? It's a, a prior to all of this, prior to organizing a race and whatnot, I didn't have much uh, uh, good to say about it. Uh, I think it as uh, doing what I do for a J job and whatnot. I think it it, it promotes a lot of. Uh, pathology especially among the youth and whatnot so i can see a lot of a lot of problems with it and a lot of issues with it and i think there's going to be a lot of social complications and and issues that's going to arise in years to come because of uh, because of social media everybody's too much in everybody's business and everybody's too concerned about everybody what everybody else is thinking and saying and whatnot so there's there's the whole philosophical side of it um but uh, from a bikepacking perspective from a race organizing perspective it was a, a really powerful tool that sort of what to the epic i just came up with the epic myself in my in my living room here on my computer plotted the whole thing and and that's sort of how it started I, just a few friends said oh why don't you put it out as a facebook event and see what happens and that's sort of where it took off and uh and uh, where the whole thing started, so I think as a, as a tool to connect with 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 the community at large, and and the tool to connect people who share a similar passion and and want to uh, share a, a, a similar uh, interests and a way of connecting and communicating with a large group, it, it's it's very effective for that. So uh, if it wasn't for the for the for the bikepacking scene and for the cycling scene, I probably wouldn't be on Facebook. Uh, for for personal reasons, I don't see uh, other people doesn't necessarily have a whole lot to do with my business or me with theirs. But from uh, um, from a cycling, a way to connect with 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 a specific community at large, and a way to effectively communicate with a with a large group of people who share a similar interest and and getting information out there and and making opportunities and things known. It's a it's a really really powerful tool. Can I ask what your day job is? I'm a physician, right? A you, you kind of mentioned like mental health, or yeah, okay, yeah, because yeah, you mentioned about the kind of with what you did and how you can see see how it affects people, and that's yeah. all. I yeah, didn't want to get all deep on social networking. Among the youth and teenagers and whatnot, there's a it 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 it's a different world from when you and I were kids yeah. and when we grew up, and the the way this is is influencing kids and their mental well being and and the world they live in is is in my experience not a social media as a whole is, is making a, a positive contribution there. That's for sure. No, we're definitely um, products of it. Like we're, we're just products for sale to the highest paying yeah. advertiser. That's pretty much yeah. what it yeah. all seems yeah. out to. Any, yeah. exactly. I don't want to get all deep on that, but so, yeah. Yeah. so you had before, before the Epic, you and Jonathan went on a, uh, you did the Oregon, uh, Oregon Outback. Oregon yeah. That was the first one we did. So you guys did that together. Yeah. That's awesome. And yeah, we drove down from here. Both of us signed up, and then we sort of realized, oh, we're both from Canada. And then he was, in that time, still living in Hinton, so we had to sort of come through Kamloops. So we drove down together and did that. So that was sort of where it all started. And then both of us enjoyed that a lot. That was for both of us our first bikepacking event. And then uh, we came back, and he he started organizing the Alberta Rockies, and I saw how, how well that was doing. And I said, oh, it's nice some nice places to ride in BC as well. So let's uh, go ahead and do one for BC as well. And that's how the BC Epic came to me. 
Yeah, that's awesome. What, what what tools are you using to do? Like you said, are you just sitting on your couch using Google Earth to, to map it out, yeah, satellite Google views and whatnot? Ride with GPS, yeah. Right. So that sort of, and just a lot, a lot of, uh, yeah, just, just exploring, exploring on Google Earth and then going and writing things. And very often you learn lessons, what looks like a good road on Google Earth <laughs> yeah. often ends up not being one. Uh, or there's locked gates, which you can't see and big no trespassing signs or uh, or power lines look really good on Google Earth. Oh, there's a line, nice straight line that goes from A to B, exactly. <laughs> but uh, utility lines do not follow contours, unlike roads. So yeah. they're not good to ride under. That's a lesson you learn really quickly. It's just steep up and down the whole way. So uh, so there's ups and downsides to that. But yeah, the, the Google Earth and having that satellite imagery and, uh, and and the internet as a whole, just being able to, to gather information enough to at least go and explore something and then uh, put something together. Yeah, this is kind of my new phrase, but it's like, what a world. What a world this yeah. is where you could sit on your couch and probably make a route on your phone, right? Yeah. And then basically yeah. put it on social networking and then have people yeah. write it and comment on it or give you, and then That's suddenly exactly. you've got this First vetted route. The first time I rode the whole BC Epic was the first time we raced it. So prior to putting it out there and prior to racing it, I personally haven't ridden the whole route, but I've put it out there on Facebook and there's people who live in Castlegar uh, and people who live in, in, uh, in Fernie, Frank Gimard and uh, Frank Fedor in, in Castlegar. And there was uh, just a few guys along the route and each of them went out and did their, their little piece or rode the little piece close to there in their backyard and then gave me feedback and said, no, this is good. This is good. We routed there and whatnot. So it was sort of a, a team effort. Each of us uh, did our little section and made sure that it was all good. So by the time we took off on the BC, on the first BC Epic, every, every piece of it had been pre-written by somebody and we knew that it was good, but it wasn't by all means all me. And, um, so that, that again, just demonstrates the power of, of, of social media and of the world we live in. Yeah, and crowdsourcing, you're basically, you know, I have this yeah. idea, can you guys go check this out? And then suddenly everyone's yeah. stoked because, yeah, yeah they're yeah. helping out this this project. That's such a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Is there is there a way to get from Merit to Lillooet off-road on gravel? Uh, there is. There's an, there's, an old, uh, there's an old rail grade, or the KVR actually runs into Merit. And then on the other side of Merritt, it continues down the valley to uh, Spencer's Bridge. Uh, quite a bit of it runs through through uh, reserves, and they're not too keen. I've asked uh, okay. all the bands once or twice whether they would allow me to pass through their land on the rail grades, and they refused. But um, but there's quite a bit of the rail grade that is that is not on on band lands. Um, so there's actual rail trail all the way into Spencer's Bridge that I've ridden, and it's really good. Needs some maintenance, but it's it's all rideable on a bike anyway. From Spencer's Bridge to Lillooet, I'm not sure. I'll have to look at that. I've I've ridden some big loops around Lillooet, but I haven't connected that specifically now. Yeah, because I used to live in in Pemberton and Squamish, and it's like there's got to be a way to get there on gravel. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think I even saw on a map once that there was a way that you could, if you went kind of um, through the Pemberton Valley to the far west there was a, an old logging road that climbed up and it would take you right over the top, right over the ridge. And you could end up in, um, uh, on the sunshine coast. Yeah. 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 So it's like, how rad would that be? You could basically ride a, like you could have a BC Epic, like a 3000 kilometer coast to border. Wouldn't that yeah. be, that'd be pretty awesome. I have to look into that. <laughs> yeah. Great. 
<laughs> well, Leonard, uh, thanks for, I'm so glad we finally connected. It's, we're both super I'm, busy. I'm glad as well. It, it took us quite a while, but I'm glad we got yeah. to connect as well. Thanks, and, uh, Steve. And you do look super tired. <laughs> you look very tired. You need to rest and yeah, recover. Yeah, a little bit of catching up to do. <laughs> awesome. Well, Leonard, I'll let you go. Thanks for your time. I appreciate that. Thanks a lot, Stephen. Thanks for taking over the podcast. We all uh, we all enjoy it and really appreciate it. Oh, it's my really my pleasure. Believe me. All right. Good night. Great. You're very welcome. Good night. Good night. All right, guys. What did you think of that conversation? I really enjoyed that one. Um, sorry, I got a bit deep with the social networking thing there at the end, but uh, I think it's important to talk about that stuff. Uh, social networking is such a huge part of our lives now and and i think it can have a negative impact in a lot of different ways um but i think if we stay positive and take everything we see on social networking with a grain of salt and carve out our own adventures and not live our lives through other people's instagrams uh, I, I think that's uh that's a good place to go and uh, just keep it all in perspective so again thanks a lot leonard for your chat don't forget you can reach out to me uh, at bikepackcanadapodcast at gmail.com you can send me your voice clips and you can send me emails or suggestions or if you have any questions you want me to uh, relay on to guests you can certainly contact us there um, I want to thank everybody again for tuning in until next time get out there ride bikes sleep in the woods and keep the rubber side down <laughs>